0: Well, we've been going through a series on the Beatitudes, and the title has been an Anecdote to Comfortable Christianity, and uh, we're going to finish that series this morning with the final Beatitude, and I've got to say that uh, as I was preparing this message uh, to share with you today, I felt particularly uncomfortable. So... I think the work is happening somehow, and I'm being shaken out of some comfort zones as I dwell on these things that Jesus said that are so central to his purpose and to his kingdom. And uh, maybe I shouldn't call it discomfort. Maybe I should just call it straight up conviction of the Holy Spirit. That might be closer. Anyway, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here with us by your spirit. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Really is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And as we look into your word this morning, I just pray for your help in understanding your word clearly. I pray for your help in sharing it with clarity. And Lord, more than anything else, we pray you'd be exalted and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to just take a quick look at the first and last of these beatitudes, and everything in between is a part of the package. But uh, in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse uh, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then skipping down to the last one, The last of the eight Beatitudes, in verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, this series of statements about God's blessing upon us starts and ends with the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's like these two first and last beatitudes kind of form an envelope for all the beatitudes to fit into. In other words, each and every one of these beatitudes have to do with the kingdom of heaven, with Jesus' royal rule and reign over all things. And what life is like when we're walking in relationship to Him in His kingdom. And so, really, it goes on. I'll read verse 11 here, the final verse in this series of statements about uh, these, uh, these things concerning Jesus and His ways. He said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you so it's noteworthy to see how this the these statements Jesus makes begin and end with the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ this synonymous terms Matthew prefers the term kingdom of heaven in his gospel and uh and so we're talking about, Jesus continually preached about and talked about His kingdom. He continually preached and talked about what life is like in His kingdom. And uh, and so we, without having the time to fully flesh this out, I can say this, the kingdom of God and living in His kingdom is basically this, it's an interactive relationship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit and through the light and the illumination of His Word. The kingdom of heaven is not just where you go when you die. It's a lot of times when people say the kingdom of heaven, Uh, the first thing that pops into their mind is, well, I guess that's where you go when you die. Well, that may be true enough, but that's not the, 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 the sum total of what the kingdom of heaven is about. When we see what Jesus says, particularly regarding the kingdom of heaven, it speaks of God's activity, of His activity here in the world right now. It's the God activity going on in the world around us. And it speaks of our participation, those who are uh, children of God, children of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom. It speaks of our participation in His royal rule, His royal reign over all things. Our participation in His purposes in the earth. So these beatitudes deal with that. Blessed, each one starts with the word blessed. Who's blessed is the issue for Jesus in teaching us these beatitudes. Who is blessed? Who is well off? Who has the good life? And uh, we, as we talk about the kingdom of God... We also are brought into the realization there is another kingdom going on in this world around us—the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, or terms to describe it. It's nothing, not to be compared with the kingdom of God. It's not the—it's—it's it, it's not the—it's the, not eternal like the kingdom of God. It's not—it's not sovereign in power like the kingdom of God, but it is a reality in our world, and it will come to an end. But right now we face the kingdom of this world which is hostile toward the kingdom of God. Are we on that page? Certainly if you read through especially the New Testament, that is made exceedingly clear. And in the kingdom of this world, there, are, there is a criteria for who is blessed for who uh, is well off, for who has the good life. What is that criteria? Some of the elements of the criteria for who is well off in the kingdom of this world right now, the kingdom of darkness, wealth. Oh, yeah, pops right up. The blessed According to the criteria, and this world's criteria for its kingdom is actually it's a ranking system. It puts people in a class or a rank. And who's well off, who ranks high in the kingdom of this world are the wealthy. They rank high. There's other things we could mention as well. The qualified. The the well-educated, that's a rank that's strong, particularly here in New England and in many other parts of the world. The rank of being well-qualified, well-educated makes you among the blessed, the well-off. Another qualification to be part of that special well-off crowd is to be popular, to receive the applause of people, or particularly the applause of people that you're particularly wanting to impress. To be, to be applauded by them indicates that you're living the life, the good life, the dream. You're well-off. and that's the kingdom of darkness, Jesus comes thundering in as king, as the king of glory, and every king has a kingdom, and he's proclaiming his kingdom, and he says, it's not like that in my kingdom. Now, in the kingdom of this world, if you're not part of the wealthy, the well-to-do, the well-off, the well-prepared, the well-educated, the applauded, the popular, and we could carry on with the list. What are you then? You're a nobody. That's what you are in the kingdom of darkness. You're a nobody. But here's Jesus now proclaiming his kingdom, and he says, you know, in essence, he says, He warns those who are high ranking in the kingdom of darkness and he says, you're in danger of missing out completely in my kingdom. You're in danger of being completely left out of my eternal kingdom unless your heart changes, unless you change and your confidence is no longer in those things. And when Luke, in Luke's gospel, when he uh, uh, gives this message about uh, the, 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 the Beatitudes, I personally think Luke's uh, 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 rendition of this is essentially same message is another occasion. And Jesus was an itinerant preacher, and I'm sure he preached this message Repeatedly. Or something very similar to it, and so when Luke goes through the the, the beatitudes that Jesus uh, taught, he also shares how Jesus gave warnings or woes to the people. So he says, "Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are," and then he says, "Woe are you, woe." This is, in other words, there's a there's a warning here that you could miss the blessing I've come to bring, and he puts it like this: Luke six twenty four. Woe to you who are full, uh, let's see, let me get it right here. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. See, he's addressing those that are high-ranking, in the kingdom of this world, and he says, beware. You could miss out entirely walking on the road that you're on now. Meanwhile, Jesus is throwing the doors of his kingdom wide open to all the nobodies. And he says, look, <laughs> listen, listen, You can be completely bankrupt in every conceivable way and come into my kingdom and know the joy and the grace and the life that my kingdom brings. You can be completely broken as an individual. you you can be so grieved about your life and your failures and your sins and the condition you find yourself in that you don't know which way to look and the door is wide open, you can come into my kingdom and I will bring comfort to you. I will comfort you and help you and strengthen you to carry on. He He says... You may not have one single spiritual qualification that aids you in becoming what I've called you to be. Not one single qualification. Nothing. You're empty. But you can come to me, and I'll make you part of my great family, part of my great kingdom, and I'll bring you into a new life. Come to me. Follow me. And one of the things we've got to remember when we read these statements Jesus made that we call the Beatitudes, every single one of them are only true because Jesus is there. Otherwise, you're finished. Jesus is there. How can he say, blessed are the poor in spirit? Blessed are the bankrupt. Because Jesus is there. My kingdom's open to you. How can he say, Blessed are those who mourn? What blessing is there in being grieved and mourning? None. Except Jesus says, I'm here. I'll comfort you. You get it? And I would like to say there's no blessing in getting persecuted either. We're going to get to that a little bit more. But you see, this value system that the world teaches us from the time we're little children has to be abandoned in order to come in to the kingdom Christ brings. Paul the apostle understood this very clearly. Very, very clearly. Why? Because Paul had been a somebody in the kingdom of this world. He was somebody. And then he became a nobody. Listen to what Paul said. Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. I've got to beat. Circumcised on the eighth day. People of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, I persecuted the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow. Whatever gain I had, I accounted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I account everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing. Before Paul had come to Christ he was high ranking in his world and in the world of Judaism and now Paul said everything I gained there every every uh every, everything I had working in my favor to make me somebody special in that world I account it as what rubbish now we actually the translators kind of sweeten this a little bit for us here, I think, Um, because uh, the old uh, English Bible, the the King James had it, dung, dung, and that actually comes closer to the word Paul used there. The message Bible got it pretty good, dog dung. That doesn't sound quite right. Well, let me say this. The word was a vulgarity in the Greek language. We have a word like that in the English, but I don't guess it's appropriate in polite company. But that's effectively what what Paul had to say about all of his attainments that he had come to in his world in the flesh. It's just stinky... Dog poop. And now, his supreme desire is to participate with Christ in his kingdom purposes in this world at every level of life, including suffering. His desire is to participate with Christ. In his purposes, by his spirit, at every level of life, including suffering. Mm. And, and that participation with Christ isn't by working the right formulas. It's not by by somehow jumping through the right hoops or, or taking the right steps. It is based on an interactive relationship with Jesus by His Spirit and His Word. Are you with me? We're talking about an interactive relationship with Jesus. That's life in, in the kingdom. It's interactive. It's... We know him; he knows us. Paul said that I might know him. I, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That word "knowing" is a to know as speaks of intimate, close, personal relationship with Jesus. You see, Paul realized all of his attainments in the past; everything that got him recognized as somebody important. Whereas if he held on to it, would only get in the way of participation with Jesus. Hmm. So participation with Christ and his kingdom. Let's get to the next thing here. Just a little, t- I just, I, I had to address the issue of the kingdom a little bit more because it's such a big deal. Now, Jesus says here, participation with him in his kingdom will involve persecution. Oh, that's sobering, right? Jesus said in John 15, 20, remember the word that I said to you. I've told you this before. I'm telling it to you again. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Why is God quiet in here? But that's what Jesus said. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, let me say this. Just like being bankrupt is not a blessing, or being deeply in mourning is not a blessing all by itself, neither is persecution a blessing all by itself. You see, God's Word and and what Jesus has to say is not encouraging us to go out and try to get ourselves persecuted so somehow we go up the ladder in His kingdom. No, that's not how His kingdom works. Anyway, there aren't ladders to climb. There's a relationship to nurture with Him. So if we are... If you happen to be one of those rare people who's looking to get persecuted, and I've met a few. I've met a few. I remember a friend one time went out and was kind of obnoxious the way he was talking to people about Jesus. And somebody just hauled him off and hit him in the eye and gave him a black eye. And this was the greatest day of his life. I thought, well, you know what? I think you may have a psychological problem there, my friend. see, the byproduct of following Jesus can be persecution. But it isn't something we're called to go out and look for and try to get. Let's listen to something Jesus said as, as Matthew continues on in the same vein through his gospel. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Jesus says this, behold, now I don't usually use that word in normal conversation, behold. Behold, it kind of sounds a little on the religious order to my ears, but that actually that word when Jesus said it didn't have a religious ring to it. It basically means, look, pay attention. What I'm about to tell you may come as a surprise, but it's absolutely true. Now that's maybe the way we ought to say it. Okay, so Jesus says, Look, pay attention. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and they will and, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Jesus says, I'm sending you. Listen up. This may come as a shock. But Jesus says to us, his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Why? Because I want you to tell those wolves about my kingdom and how good I am and how I can change their hearts and I can make them my sheep too. In other words, he said, I want the good news about my kingdom to go public. with me? This is Jesus now. He said, "I, I I want this message, this good news, this story of my great salvation, I want it to go public. And He's promising us that when we go and do that, His Spirit will help us. So when they drag you before authorities and accuse you falsely, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. This, the Spirit of His Father, He said, will give you what to say. What again? What is this? This is an interactive relationship. It's an interactive relationship. There's been a lot of Christians that have been raised on formulas. Do this, do that, do this, and it will equal that, and you'll get this. Uh, uh, you'll get this result. Well, relationships don't exactly work like that. They work. There's this interaction in the moment. There's this interaction in our walk, and 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 he tells us, and he speaks to our hearts, and he helps us know what we should say in the moment we should say it in. If we're walking with him. And going out and doing what Jesus commanded us to do will mean we will be sheep among wolves. Now, many of us as Christians mostly live our lives, and I'm speaking to myself, mostly live our lives as sheep among sheep. Well, we are part of a community, and we do need each other. Hallelujah. But we all are sent out to be sheep among wolves. It's a very different thing to live as a sheep among wolves than it is to live, live as a sheep among sheep. But let's go out together and be among those who don't know Jesus yet. Let's go out two by two or several at a time, however and we're going to pray for each other. We're going to support each other. We're going to strengthen each other in that. We are ascending church. We call ourselves ascending church. And we are ascending church. What, is it, what do we mean by ascending church? We send people under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Or we release them to go to other places, other nations, other cities, other towns for the purpose of the gospel. We're glad that we have some of those folks with us here today. Now, when people that we know and love go to another part of the world or another city or another another place with the purpose of making the gospel known, And I've had that experience myself in my life. You know, you wake up nearly every day thinking, why am I here? I'm here to make Jesus known. That's why I'm here. And you pray and you think, oh, God, please help me. But let me, here's the deal. That's not just for the people we send out. That's for you and I who stay home. We are here. For what reason? For the purpose of making Jesus known. Well, we gave some money to help support those who go. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't (laughs) release you from Jesus' command. We have to follow him. And he says, I'm sending you out. It starts with your neighbors who live next door. It, it starts with people that you meet at work and at school and in the marketplace. And there has to be friendship. There has to be relationship. There has to be some kind of connection. We don't just come up and blast people's socks off. We, we've got to find a way to share with them out of life on life how good Jesus is. But we live in an atmosphere here in New England and in the West and many other parts of the world that says if you want to follow Jesus because you feel it helps you, please do, please do. If you're a better person because you trust Jesus or believe in him, more power to you. Go right ahead but that is a private matter. That's a private thing. Please keep that to yourself. Don't push that down my throat. And, and, and this, it's pervasive in our world. But it's completely opposite to what Jesus taught us. It has nothing to do with what Jesus is saying to us about his kingdom. Jesus gave a final command uh, that Matthew records at the end of his gospel. And I think most of you know it. Many of you would. Let's put it up and let's read it together. Let's read it together. These are the final words in Matthew's gospel of Jesus to us as his disciples. Jesus came to them and said, let's read it together. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. That's a promise, and that is a command. And we can't do the command without the good of the promise. He said, I will be with you. I have all authority in heaven and earth. I am in charge. I am king of heaven and earth, and I will be with you when you go and do what I told you to do. I want to finish with two quick stories of people who did just that. And many stories could be told. But The first story is the story of a man named Joseph. Joseph was a tall, slender African man. He was a member of the Maasai tribe, the Maasai people. And Joseph was a warrior among those Masai people. He had the, uh, the, the, the ritual scars on his face that said to everybody that he had fought a lion single-handedly and killed him with his spear. And he was held in high honor for that as a warrior. Now, one day Joseph was walking along a dusty road there, in his homeland, and someone that he met traveling along that same road shared the story of Jesus' salvation with Joseph. And when he heard the good news, he he, he lit up and he 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 readily accepted the story of of Jesus as Lord and Savior that was being told him, and he received Jesus. As his Lord and Savior, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and great joy gripped his life, and his life was changed, changed forever. Well, now Joseph immediately thought, I gotta go back to my village, and I gotta tell my village this good news. And he made his way back to his local tribe, and when he got to the village, he began going from house to house, telling everyone how good Jesus was, telling everyone about the cross of Jesus and, and, and how that uh, they could receive new life through putting their trust in him. And he expected their faces to light up just as his head lit up when he heard the story. But to his amazement, the villagers in his town became hostile toward him. And the men of the village ultimately seized him and held him down to the ground, and the women beat him with strands of barbed wire until his skin was ripped to shreds. And then they dragged him out into the bush, threw him to one side, and left him there to die. Well, Joseph managed to crawl down to the water hole that was there nearby, and after passing in and out of consciousness for about two days, he finally found strength to get up, and he couldn't understand the hostility or the hostile hostile reception that he had received from the people that he had known all his life. It was a mystery, and he finally concluded that he must have got something wrong. He, he didn't tell the story right or somehow he had failed. And so as he laid there, he, he went over and he rehearsed the story that the one who had led him to Jesus had told him and he made sure that he remembered every detail the very best he could. And then he decided he would go back to his village one more time And try it again, share his faith with them once more. Joseph limped back into his village, into the circle of huts at the center of that village, and he began to proclaim again the good news about Jesus. And he finished his, his story by pleading with them that Jesus died for you so you can find forgiveness and you can come to know the living God. And once again, the men grabbed him and held him down while the, men, the women beat him a second time, opening up the wounds that were, had only begun to heal in his body. And then they dragged him once again out into the bush and tossed him to one side. He was unconscious and left there to die. Well, to survive that first beating was remarkable, but to survive the second one was literally a miracle. And after several days, Joseph finally awoke out of unconsciousness, out there in the bush, beaten, scarred, bloody, and yet somehow, deep inside of himself, he purposed to go back into that village one more time. So the third time he returned into the village, before he could even get his mouth open to tell the story that he had in his heart, he was attacked and the flogging started a third time. And this would have certainly been the last. And Joseph realized that and felt, if he's going to tell them about Jesus, he's going to have to somehow make it known right during the flogging before he passes. He began to, the best he could, speak them about to them about the Lord Jesus and his power to forgive them and give them new life. He got it out somehow. And just before, just as he was slipping out of consciousness he noticed that the women who were beating him with the barbed wire were also weeping, and he was gone. Well, Joseph did, after a period of time, wake up. He regained consciousness. Again, this is nothing short of a miracle, And he was not out there in the wilderness tossed to one side. He was in his own bed. And those who had seized him and beaten him so severely were trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. But why? Why? Because the entire village had come to Christ. You can read that story, and it's published in more than one place, but you can read that story in this book, Let the Nations Be Glad, by John Piper. And if you haven't read this book, I would really recommend you read it because here John Piper has tried to lay down a biblical foundation for why the the great passion of God's heart is that the nations would be glad. And that was the passion of Joseph's heart for his as a young Christian and he went on to become an evangelist one more quick story this is a very different story about persecution the story happened to a man that I've had the opportunity of meeting we'll call him Jack Jack and his wife received a call to go to a region where there was virtually no gospel being preached. And they went there and diligently shared the good news about Jesus for many years. Jack and his wife, during those years, faced seasons of persecution on numerous occasions. But on one occasion... Jack went through an especially painful attack of persecution against his own character. He was accused of a crime involving child molestation. And he went through a long and very painful and difficult public trial, which was made even more public by the local media Finally, none of the allegations stood up in a court of law, and Jack was exonerated. He had lived a life of integrity, and these accusations were false. And through all this, even though it was hugely painful for both he and his wife, they kept their trust in the Lord, and they kept their joy in the Lord. But having been accused of such evil deeds made it almost impossible for them to remain working in the region where they had lived. And they finally felt it best that they move on to another place. Now Jack and his wife have continued to reach out to the same people group in other regions. When I met Jack and his wife the thing I noticed most about them was the passion and the, and the vision they had for the people God had called them to. That they would know Jesus. That they would encounter Jesus. And they've seen some of them encounter Jesus. And the great delight they have in seeing that and sharing the good news. It just sort of oozes out of them. And the hope they have of seeing those people The Lord has put on their hearts, come to Jesus in huge numbers. That's their zeal. That's their hope. That's their desire. Now, I think folks like these that we've just talked about and many others, let me say this, persecution comes in all forms, in all shapes, in all sizes. These stories may be particularly intense, but whether it's subtle or intense, Persecution is a reality, but I believe these people, like Jack and his wife and Joseph, understand what Peter had to say in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12, and it's like Peter is actually talking about what Jesus spoke to us concerning in that final beatitude. He's putting it in his own words. He said, Beloved, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. Let's stand together.